They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Wow, Elliot, here we are once again. New week, new Magellan at the movies. Oh my gosh. That's what I do. I want people to know that I'm excited and interested in being able to bring them the best film criticism that they can find. So that's why I say wow. Plus, I'm always so excited to see you, Elliot. Dude, I'm out here trying to clean up my speech, trying to get rid of filler words like the my arch enemy you know, and you're not putting forth any kind of analogous effort. No, because I, I think people listen to us to hear my unfiltered thoughts, so I don't think I need to be cleaning up the way I talk to, for the pod. You know, if you see me in person in real life, I will talk the same way that I do here on this podcast. That's how you know I'm real. I'm a, I'm a real person. I'm unfiltered. Let's move on. Yeah. So, Elliot, next week is the season premiere for the fifth season of Fargo. Uh, this is pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited for it. I think when we did our favorite television shows, either you did Fargo or I did Fargo. I'd be surprised if neither of us did Fargo. I did Fargo. Okay, sick. So yeah, I love Fargo, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really excited. Early reviews are very positive for it. The cast is uh, very good. John Hamm is playing like the sheriff sort of guy. Joe Keery, who I absolutely adore. He's one of the best parts of even the bad seasons of Stranger Things. He's playing another cop sort of guy. And then Juno Temple, who you haven't seen Ted Lasso, but I watched it over the summer. And she was uh, one of the better parts of that show as well, when it was not as great as it could have been. And she looks almost unrecognizable from her role in Ted Lasso. So I'm really excited for this. Ellie, are you excited? Are you are you ready to get into another? This is the second season of Fargo that we're going to watch as it comes out. Yeah, I'm definitely hopeful. I think I'm a little bit cautious after season four, which was uneven, to put it generously. And, but hopefully uh, they can get like some assistant writers or editors on there to just rein in Noah Hawley a little bit, give him some direction, give him some structure, and uh, get this get Fargo back to tip-top form. The trend is that Fargo releases a fantastic season and then a season that I don't particularly care for. Uh, Season one and three were both fantastic. Season two and four I wasn't as crazy about. So hopefully (laughs) that continues and we get a fantastic one. Also, did you know that Noah Hawley, I'm pretty sure that's his name, by the way, is set to show run an alien show? Yeah, that's been in the works for a while, but I think it just recently, like in the last two days or something, finally got the green light to go ahead. Yeah. That's an interesting pick, I have to admit. There were there were like horror elements in uh, season four, if you recall. There was that like implications of a ghost, maybe. It was sort of like yeah. the alien in season two that, it, hey, alien, there you go. Uh, that just sort of showed up and then they never really went anywhere. But yeah, that's very, that's very intriguing. Well, he did, he also did Legion, that uh, show about the X-Man guy. And that show has some fairly freaky sort of, we only watched season one, but that show has some fairly uh, nerve wracking sort of moments. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. That'll be interesting. I'll probably tune in for that just to see what it's like because I, I like Alien. It's set on Earth, apparently. I'm not sure how that's going to work because as far as I know, Xenomorphs have never really made it to Earth except for in the Alien versus Predator movies and nobody likes to talk about those. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, Elliot, let's... We'll update you. That's going to be one of those shows. We'll let you know our thoughts as they go along. So if you want to watch along, it'll be somewhere. I don't know. I'm not being paid to find out that information. Uh, I believe it's on It's on FX. It's also released on Hulu the, the day after. So Beautiful. Elliot is paid to do that. So thank goodness. <laughs> uh, let's dive into this. I'm actually kind of excited for... Not kind of excited. I'm very excited for this episode. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Elliot, let us break it down for us. You chose the movie. What's what's the deal? What's this about? Why do we care? Why do we care? Well, that's a question that everyone has to kind of answer for themselves. But I can tell you why I care about 2023's The Killer, directed by David Fincher, based on a French graphic novel of the same name, written by Alexis something or other. I believe he's also a writer on this movie. Uh, so good job him keeping that, uh, keeping it in the family. The Killer stars Michael Fassbender. It was released exclusively to Netflix. Hooray. And it follows the titular killer, who I don't believe is ever named, aside from all of his aliases that he uses, uh, played by Michael Fassbender. Uh, and it follows the killer who makes a mistake on a routine hit. He doesn't He doesn't quite get the mark. It's, it's not really a spoiler because it happens in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie. And then the rest of the movie sort of follows the fallout from this. Uh, there are certain personal repercussions that he faces uh, and professional repercussions that he's trying to sort out, uh, mainly revolving around a wrong that is done to him or is done to him by proxy that he's trying to right as a killer might via violence and killing. Um, so the movie's kind of structured around four separate kills and how he sets them up, how he gets the how he gets onto the premises, and then the method by which he kills the person, uh, and then it's on to finding the next person, getting onto the premises, killing them, boom, move on to the next one. Uh, so yeah. This is kind of a return to form for Fincher. He took a brief day off of Finchering with Mank, which doesn't have any murder, minimal nihilism, no blood, no violence, no Fincherisms. And now he's back with a movie about an assassin. And Nathan and I are both Fincher fans. Uh, I think I'm pro I probably like him a little bit more than you do. He was one of my favorite directors, if you cast your mind back to that episode. So I was really excited about this. Uh, we mentioned it last week that we were both planning on watching it. Now we've watched it. We both decided that we've got some thoughts on it. And now we are going to declaim those thoughts for your listening pleasure. Nathan, give it to us. Give it to us straight. Don't sugarcoat it. We want we want that authenticity that you were hyping up at the beginning of this episode. So filler words, st stammering, stuttering. Let's have it. Uh, yeah, I think the only Perfect. other thing that I would Opening say with an, uh, that's <laughs> fantastic. That's what I was looking for. Um, another one. See, now, I have to, now I have to leave these in. In the past, I've been editing out a lot of ums. I'm going to have to leave them in. So you're you talking ends. about your unfiltered opinion and how you're giving to, to people like they, they would get if they talked to you in person. Now you're admitting that you're cleaning it up in post. Uh, I think to return to the film we're talking about here, uh, I think a lot of people, which is interesting to me, I'm seeing a lot of discourse that Man that Fincher needed to return to form because Mank was a critical failure, which I think people just have broken brains on. I The reaction was not quite as euphoric as the reaction to the social network, per se. But the movie was nominated for Best Picture and a whole host of other Oscars. It received very good critical reviews almost across the board. Some people said it was 
I think the general audience maybe found it a little boring. I personally really enjoyed Mank. I think it's a fantastic companion piece to Citizen Kane. But all that to say, I also, to then talk about this movie, I think in terms of coming into it with some expectations, I think a lot of people came into this with the expectation of it's going to be another Gone Girl, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, you know, something along those lines of a killer, something about murder, and seems to be going over pretty well. For me, personally, I thought this movie was really good. I was very, very pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I think it is very well done. It has maybe a thin sort of premise or idea that's pulling the entire film along, but it's hard to see how thin the idea is when you have such an absolute master of his craft making it on a technical level. This movie is crazy, but I think the place where it kind of maybe falls apart a bit is in the idea. But I do think the idea of the film is fascinating and I'm very interested to talk to you about it because this is the kind of core thesis of the film is the thing that I've been seeing a lot of people disagreeing on. Some people don't see it as being present at all in the film. Some people see it as being very present. I feel like it's very present. I'm very interested to talk about it. But in terms of overall thoughts, I think this is a really good movie. I would rank it right in the middle of Fincher's filmography, but that's just because the top of Fincher's filmography is just some crazy good films. Uh, well, first of all, I think it warrants noting that Mank is not necessarily a great companion piece to Citizen Kane because it's pretty loosely based on what happened. Like, the claims it makes about Mankiewicz and the extent to which he was the sole writer behind Citizen Kane are not exactly... They're, they're, they've been pretty thoroughly refuted. Yeah, what I what I meant was not a companion piece as like it gives you greater understanding of the story behind Citizen Kane. I meant companion piece as they are both very much movies that cast a very sympathetic eye towards a very unsympathetic type of character. That Citizen Kane wants you to feel something towards Kane, despite the fact that it's you know, Kane's a dirtbag, and Mank is kind of the same way, that it wants you to understand why you would care about Mank, even though he's kind of a jerk. We're not here to talk about Mank, Elliot. Stay focused. Well, I just want to reaffirm our commitment to historical accuracy. That's one of the many things that we support alongside Ryan Gosling's career and stuff like that. Yeah, so I am kind of in a similar place But I'm more conflicted about it in terms of I really enjoyed the process of watching this movie. Like this movie went down like a cold glass of water on a hot summer day. And Fincher is, like you said, a master of his craft. This movie is immaculately shot. Uh, I love the meticulous deliberateness of it of walking through the steps that the killer is taking and sort of it's it's very much the thinking man's John Wick in that it's trying to immerse you in a world of backroom deals and wire transfers and hitmen and all kinds of skullduggery and uh, cloak and dagger stuff. But this is, of course, much more grounded in realism or Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm not a contract killer. Cough, cough. Uh, it's it's trying to be more gritty, more realistic. And I love all of that. The problem is that when I think about the, th- the kinds of things that this movie was trying to achieve in terms of its character and its theme, which obviously you see more of than I did. So I'm I'm very interested to see if you can bring me on board because when I think about that kind of stuff, I th- I would say that this movie pretty categorically fails at establishing an arc 
for the killer from seeing himself as, as he says, one of the few to one of the many. I, I don't see that. I'm not sure how he got there. I'm not sure why he made a decision that he made at the end of the movie, which this movie is out right now. It's, it was released pretty recently, so I think we should go spoiler-free for a little bit here for our general thoughts, so I won't talk about that too much. But there are just things about his character that seem to be concluding an arc that I was like, wait a second, I didn't even realize that we were on this journey, and now it's over. So, and that kind of thing is usually so important to me. And yet, like, I loved watching this movie. I was so, I was so just into everything that it was doing. And it was so watchable that I didn't really care, which definitely makes me a hypocrite. But uh, also, (laughs) like, like we always say, I can only, I can only rate the experience I had with the movie. So, uh, this is one of those episodes where I, my my opinions are very much still uh, forming, still developing. Even though my subje- my very subjective experience of it was overwhelmingly positive. Wow. Okay. Well, then let's let's dive in. And if we want to stay away from maybe some um, huge spoilers here in the beginning, let's talk about the beginning of the movie. I thought the opening of this film is a fantastic opening. Honestly, if you just watched the first seven minutes, it's a fantastic um, encapsulation of a lot of the things that the rest of the movie continues to do well. We have the killer in Paris, Paris, France, and he's preparing for a a shoot, not a photo shoot, a gun shoot. He's going to shoot a person. (laughs) And we get this very, very self-serious, nihilistic, cynical monologue in narration over him kind of going about his day as he's prepping for this thing. Clearly, he's just waiting around for the person he's supposed to kill to show up. So he's just wandering around town. He's doing yoga. He's stretching. He's listening to exclusively the Smiths, which is a bonkers thing for a person to be doing. But we get this understanding of, right, the kind of person that the killer is. Like Elliot already said, he sees himself as one of the few, that he thinks the world is separated, right, into the naive, innocent sheep, and then the people who get it, the people who are smart, who have seen past you know the veil through the curtain they know the wizard's not real and he sees himself as one of those people you know he's constantly saying all this stuff about you know so many people die per second and i only add you know one or two so it can't be that bad what i do and all this stuff and then all of this builds up to when he finally gets a chance to shoot the person and he misses. He doesn't miss. He hits the wrong person. He hits a, the woman who's kind of entertaining the guy, walks in front of his line of sights, and he shoots the woman instead of him. And he then has to flee the country. And I think this is a perfect encapsulation of the film, that it's the killer being so self-serious, so cynical. He thinks he's so smart and so cool. And then the movie undercutting that thing instantly knocking out everything he's established in the narration from under him. And then the movie, like you said, right, he has an arc where eventually enough things go wrong that by the end of the movie, he very begrudgingly has to accept that he's not as cool or special or in, you know, the group in the club as he thought he was. As well as maybe, uh, and this is maybe a bit more of a discussion, maybe he doesn't, maybe the club doesn't even exist. Just in terms of everyone that he meets throughout the rest of the movie as he's trying to get to the bottom of the people who have kind of harmed him, as we see in the next section, that a lot of them are just like schmucks, just random people. And I think he's gradually just disillusioned of like, oh, I think I was wrong. Like, I thought I was being hired by right some awful illuminati dude and it was it's just some dude in sweatpants it's just some the illusion's gone and i think that's the entire movie 
And the opening scene, I think, is a perfect setup of that, that he sets up so much of this idea of the killer and then it's all it's all gone which i think is fascinating i think the movie does very well this is the thing that i think a lot of people i've been seeing miss that a lot of people have been saying the movie is so self-serious it's so stupid it's so overly cynical and dark to know like in an edgy way And I think they're completely missing the fact that the movie knows it's all of those things. This was honestly one of, I think, the funniest Fincher films I've ever seen. In terms, there was multiple moments that I laughed out loud just in terms of the killer saying something and then the exact opposite thing happening. I'm like, you're such a tool, dude. What the heck? So that's kind of what I saw as the main idea, the thrust of the film. And where I see it kind of in this opening section, you already said, do you think that's true? Do you side more with these other people who think the movie's just kind of edgy, self-serious nonsense? Where do you land, Elliot? Well, that's all very unfortunate, Nathan, because I did notice all of that stuff. And my problem was I just kind of didn't think that it was enough. Like I noticed Mm. that... One of the things that I noticed and that I appreciated and that I thought was building towards something that didn't really get developed as much as I would have liked was how his narration was constantly being interrupted as he was going on his kills. He was talking to himself like, do all these things. He's basically laying out his technique and his ideology and then the people keep on getting in the way. And like you said, sort of getting in the way of his own self-image or at least his worldview. And I definitely see all that. The problem is that I don't see a corresponding level of change in him. Like, there's never, there's, it doesn't, I don't really get a sense of doubt or of instability from him, from him uh, a feeling that his worldview is being challenged. And part of that is because I think Michael Fassbender does a great job in this performance, I think that the performance might not necessarily be best suited to the kind of story that you're describing because it's very monotone, Mm. very, uh, very straight faced, straight laced. So when he's talking to, for example, the expert, uh, the next to last target on his list, and she's telling him some pretty wild stories (laughs) and basically like challenging him and his worldview and he's just given her a blank face. He doesn't really respond uh, physically or verbally. And so that's where I think, as you've been talking, that's where I've I've actually solidified my view in that that's where this theme that you're describing, in my opinion, doesn't really work. Is that it doesn't really affect or noticeably affect the character that it's really about enough for me to really be invested in it and also get much catharsis from it when it's finally resolved. And he decides that he's one of the many. Sure. And I guess I'd say here we're going full spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film and if we've convinced you to see the film, go watch it, then listen to the rest of the episode or, you know, if you just don't care. So, if you don't want to be, don't want to have it spoiled, the consensus is we both really enjoyed it uh, for kind of different reasons. But we definitely would recommend that you watch this if you think that you're going to jive with it. And I also would say that if you're scared off by the idea of this being really dark or really edgy, I would disagree with that. I would say that this is pretty breezy by Fincher's normal standards. So don't 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 be too scared of like anything really grim or really depressing like you might find in seven or gone girl. Yeah. Saying that, uh, I think, I think I would just disagree that I I don't think I just can't conceive of how the movie would show us that the killer is kind of experiencing a change in his worldview outside of the ways it shows us anyway, by right. The change in his actions as the movie goes along. And it's not a huge change, but I feel like, especially as I'm thinking about it, his final confrontation with uh, the billionaire who ended up hiring the people who, the person who attacked his 
girlfriend, his wife, this girl that he's kind of exacting revenge for throughout the film. He meets him and he finds out that, right, the dude isn't some Illuminati villain. He isn't some James Bond-esque crazy Dr. Evil. It's just some dude. And he, the guy doesn't even real, right? He comes in and the guy's confused as to why he's even there. He has to be reminded that he did. He didn't realize that's what he was doing by telling uh, the lawyer guy, yeah, go ahead and, you know, do what you would normally do. And so I think at the end of it, the illusion is shattered. And I think he's pissed about it. I think he's upset. The only kind of emotion we see from him, maybe in the whole movie, is there at the end when he's like, I guess I'm not a part of the few, I am a part of the many, and his jaw twitches, which feels to me that, right, he's very frustrated at it, that this is the facts of the situation. But also, right, his actions have clearly demonstrated that he, he feels he can't, right? He can't keep being a killer. He can't keep doing what he's doing because he's gone on this whole thing and he's seen that it doesn't really matter. But so I would disagree. I don't think the movie needed to do anything else to show me the killer's character arc because I feel like it's all there. And outside of him explicitly saying, I'm doing this because of this in the narration, I don't see it. And I don't think that would be a very good thing for the movie to do. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think there is something to be said that the movie feels like because there's no visible reaction in the killer's face or kind of actions until the very end of the movie, it does kind of feel like the movie just hits the same point a lot of times that it'll just keep saying, right, you're, it's not as serious as you think. It's not as like your cynicism is not based on re is not based in reality but I do think it's kind of, the movie just kind of makes that point once and then it keeps making it again and again and again, but not necessarily in a more interesting or compelling way. So if you're not bought into what the movie is selling you by the beginning of the movie, I don't think anything in the rest of the movie is necessarily going to win you over to what the movie is trying to do. Okay, so... This is this is confusing to me because and maybe it's like my training or quote unquote training as a literary analysis analysis analyst over the past four years is that I tend to rely on textual evidence by which I mean, obviously, like stuff from the story. So. What are you what are you referring to when you talk about his changes in behavior? Because aside from the last his his last confrontation with the guy who ostensibly set this all in motion by hiring him to kill the guy who he failed to kill at the beginning and he lets him go, aside from that, I can't think of anything he does that is not in keeping with what he's always been doing. And also I never really got the sense that he, and maybe it's, maybe it's just that I missed something. So I'm not asking you to like convince you that you're wrong. I'm asking you to help you convince me that you're right because I can't think of anything. And I also can't think of any time where he evinced some kind of belief in like serving a higher power or like that he thought sure. he was a part of some Illuminati ring of assassins so where where do you see this specifically i mean i guess uh, i can't think of anywhere specifically where i see that i think it's just my way of like this is probably what he like he clearly sees himself right as a very consummate professional killer for a very particular type of person and so i think it's just like the ideas that I, I'm assuming, I guess this is sort of an assumption. I'm assuming that Fincher then wants us to 
bring all of the things we would assume that brings with it to it, even though the movie doesn't necessarily right invoke all of those things. Like he's not saying the few is like an Illuminati type, you know, cynical nihilist. We're going to utilitarian mor- moral our way out of everything. But I think by continually preaching along those lines, he's calling to mind those sorts of things, right? That if you preach nihilism enough, you're going to call to mind a particular type of person, a particular type of people. And then throughout the movie, no one we meet is like that. The lawyer's not like that. The expert's not like that. The billionaire, the the hirer, I can't remember what they called him in the credits. The billionaire guy is not like that. None of them are like the killer. And so I think in that way, the movie is kind of contrasting what the killer thought of with right reality. And even in the killer isn't really what he's trying to get us to see that much, I think. I mean, obviously, he's a very talented person in terms of talent being killing human beings. (laughs) But he's not as cool as the movie wants us to think he is. Well, I think that's kind of a stretch. And (laughs) I'm not convinced, I'm sorry to say. But I think that, yeah, I I just don't see that because, like... I never got any there I don't think that there's really much textual evidence to support that cuz he when he when he first rolls up on I think he's referred to as like what the brute the yeah. the guy in Florida um yeah. he indi- he makes no indication of any kind of surprise like wow I was expecting something a little bit different I I I wasn't expecting to find myself in this situation like Anything like that, and I would actually disagree with the point about the narration. I think that in setting up this inner monologue of his, the movie gave itself a perfect vehicle by which to register this uh, this surprise and this change in outlook. Because he's constantly talking about himself, he's constantly talking about what he thinks and what he's doing. So I think that it would make perfect sense for him to, in his monologue, just like mention it doesn't even have to be like, I'm surprised to to find that this is who this guy really is. It could be just like, I don't usually carry out killings in like some back street in Florida where the only security is a pit bull. I think something like that would be, would go a long way to establishing a textual evidence-based base for <coughs> the this the character arc that you're describing. Sure. I mean, you know, hey, if you're a nerd and you need nonsense like textual evidence, then, you know, that's tough for you. I'm out here. I react to what I make up in my brain, (laughs) (laughs) what the movie causes me to make up. Well, well, let's let's leave aside uh, playground insults and let's talk about (laughs) let's talk about uh, stuff because I feel bad for doing all of this uh, (laughs) prosecutorial work for a movie that I really enjoyed. So let's talk about the things that we really enjoyed about it. And I'm going to go first just because I think that clearly we have a few things that we enjoyed differently about this movie. But my favorite thing, bar none, about this movie was, uh, or things, I guess, was the world building, the uh, characterization. Everyone felt so distinct and so, like, so memorable. Like, this has a very sparse cast, but everyone, it, I think it's sort of like, this is going to be a metaphor that not a, not a whole lot of people are going to appreciate, but, like, in video game open worlds, right, smaller open worlds <laughs> tend to be more memorable because, because of their scarcity, the scarcity of landmarks and of recognizable geography. It all just sort of, it, it establishes it takes up more headspace in your mind. And I think that there's a similar principle going on here with the cast. Like it's so small, but everyone is so well-defined and so different from each other that they all make so much more of an impact than if this movie was like bursting with actors and characters. Uh, So I really love that. Um, I just love the meticulous, like I said, meticulous deliberateness of it. Like there was no 
It felt like there was no piece of this movie, aside from the thematic stuff, uh, that was out of place. <laughs> like, all, all of it was very deliberately placed. There wasn't any wasted time. Uh, there wasn't any wasted, like, shots. Everything was like it's it's very much like its title character that it's laser focused. And, oh, man, it was just I just loved being immersed in it. Like I I love mechanics. I love learning about how stuff works. Like I think I might have mentioned this before, but my favorite part of War of the Worlds, the book, is just when the author is trying to figure out Martian society and how their technology evolved. Like, I eat that stuff up because I just find it so interesting to think about how different worlds and different, like, structures and societies and technologies, how that all works and what it all means. So this movie was, like, tailor-made for me uh, on that on that front because it is always you are always on the ground floor of like, this is how he avoids getting noticed. Like this is what, this is the camo that he uses. He talks about it. Uh, This is his storage locker where he keeps like a bunch of license plates that he can switch out uh, for his, for his vehicle. And this is like the, the, these, this is where he keeps all his weapons and this is how he gets paid. And this is how he gets into each different place. And so Gosh, I love that stuff. So, and that's the, one of the big reasons, possibly the biggest reason why I enjoyed this movie so much because it's basically mechanics the movie. <laughs> yeah, I would de- I would definitely agree that um it's very mechanical. It's very fun to watch how he kind of goes about everything. I would also agree that all of the characters are very distinct and stand out despite the minimal sort of screen time any of them get my favorite part about this movie and the part that i just was tickled was the narration and how many times i i said this at the beginning i really think this is fincher's funniest movie the joke the like when he's working with the lawyer and he shoots him in the chest with the nail gun and then the guy falls over and the narration is like you know, a man of this build with this much blood will be able to survive. For, and as he's like, you know, giving this nerd, this is how I know when he'll die. The guy dies on him. And he's like, wait, that's not supposed to, that is so funny. And just all like later in the movie when he's in, I think he's in Chicago to kill the billionaire. And he's like, plotting out how he's gonna get in there's a bit where he walks past a guy and he's like yeah this is this guy's a flipping nerd good luck with the wordle i was like dude that's so mean (laughs) it's and so there's a lot of jokes in the narration or maybe not even jokes just things that i thought were so bizarrely serious and edgy that i laughed out loud at them uh, I also thought when he's fighting the brute and he pulls out a cheese grater, <laughs> I thought that was a hilarious gag because for sure it's a Fincher movie. So for half a second, I'm like, oh, I'm about to see something real nasty. <laughs> yep, Elliot's nodding. We thought the same <laughs> I was, thing. I was like, my stomach was churning already. I was like, am I going to be able to watch this or am I going to have to look away? <laughs> And then he and then he just kind of makes a face of like, oh, no, and then throws it away. That's so funny. And honestly, even when he's like trying to get the pit bull to sleep and he's like a pit bull of this size needs this dosage. And then he's walking by. He's like, he's a lot bigger up close, though. I might have gotten it wrong. And then he did get it wrong. The pit bull does wake up. But just stuff like that. The narration I thought was so it was so engaging and consistently in my mind at least, very funny and interesting. And I think Michael Fassbender does a great job of, you know, pulling off just the dry, emotionless way he the narration goes. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that this movie, I think that that's the perfect word for this movie is it is it's so engaging. Like it just gets its hooks in you and then you're just you're just along for the ride and you're just loving watching all of it play out like i love this movie's story even though i would probably agree that it's a little on the thin side but just like 
just yeah, just watching how it all works and how it all folds out, I was like, oh, this is this is despite the fact that it's objectively unpleasant, like you're watching someone getting ready to kill people, it's very it's just watchable. And a big part of that is Fincher's style. Like Fincher is a master of lighting. Um uh, I've, I never notice lighting in movies except for Fincher movies because they have they all have this like weird sickly yellow tint to them. It, it's not a tint like something they apply in post, but it's just everything looks a bit sick and a bit yellow. And it's so perfect for his his style of story, like the kind of story that he chooses to tell. And also like... Yeah, it's just so immaculate in terms of the set design and the cinematography and the lighting. There was a part when he's fighting the brute, and I thought that was a pretty good fight scene. That it it kept me engaged, and I, I it wasn't it didn't seem uh, like artificially. It didn't seem like anyone got a leg up on anyone else artificially. Like sometimes it feels like a movie fight scene. It's kind of prolonging itself unnecessarily uh, by just sort of making up ways to keep it going. I'm thinking specifically of the last fight in John Wick between John Wick and an aging, overweight Russian mobster. But no, this movie very believably kept things on a fairly even footing. There were a few times where it was so dark, it was basically two silhouettes smashing against each other where I was like, okay, can we can we turn some lights on? Because I'm having some trouble seeing. But other than that, fantastic lighting. Seriously, no notes, as usual, on the technical side of things. Fincher is, is a master of the mechanics of directing. Yeah, I think on a technical level, I mean, this... Eric Messerschmidt, once again, teaming up with David Fincher. All of his movies with Fincher have been absolutely gorgeous. This one is not as, I think, obviously beautiful as something like, I think Gone Girl has a lot of moments that look good just in like an aesthetic way. And obviously Mank looks great just because it's got the black and white and it's doing a different sort of thing. This movie, I thought the technical elements fantastic. I loved the sound editing in the opening scene to where every time the camera switched to the killer's POV, the music that was being played was like fully in your ears as opposed to shots of just of the killer where then the music was being played as you would be able to hear it if you were, you know, standing two feet away from someone listening to it with headphones. I also thought the fight scene was... I, I'm going to go further than you. This I thought this was a crazy good fight scene. I thought it was fantastic. It was punchy. There was enough shaky cam that every time someone got hit, I was like, I think Michael Fassbender just got killed. This guy's like twice his size. It, it was so good. They were constantly breaking every... This guy was like, oh, one robber breaking into my house. Time to destroy everything that I own. He's throwing him into the TV, the table. I mean, he's, I think he stabbed, I think the killer stabbed the guy with like a bong pipe at one point. It was just crazy brutal. I saw someone compare it to a fight in Barry, and I think that's a very good comparison of just one guy being just a huge brute who's going to smack the tar out of you, and then the other guy just being a, a thinner, smaller dude, really scrappy, he's going to you know, hit you with a bunch of nonsense and make you just bleed out as the fight goes on. I thought it was a fantastic fight scene. And yeah, just the movie as a whole, a technical, it just looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. I'm so annoyed that Netflix didn't put this in any theaters near us. And I'm honestly sitting here I don't think it will be nominated for Best Picture, but I'm sitting here praying it does, if only so it gets a limited theatrical release in my gosh dang town so I can see this movie in theaters because I have no doubt it would be way more fun in in a movie theater. But yeah, this movie looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. Oh, Reznor and Ross on the soundtrack again. It kind of sounds like the Gone Girl soundtrack, but that doesn't matter because I love their vibey synthy 
you know, kind of in the back, but just making you feel uneasy and nervous throughout the entire film. I loved it. I thought it was great. I agree. I thought this was a great soundtrack, not one that I would listen to casually, but one of those soundtracks very much in the uh, Spencer category where I'm like, this is the perfect soundtrack for the story that's being told and it appreciably enhances the atmosphere of it. And sometimes that's just like, you can't really do that and also make a soundtrack that you would want to put on in the car. I am glad that you mentioned the thing about the sound editing in the beginning because I had completely forgotten about that, but I did love that. And I thought it did a great job of, there's something about variations in a movie soundscape that I think, especially in especially when it's contrasting loudness and quietness, that I think just contributes a whole heck of a lot to the tension of a scene. So I thought that the the constant interplay of loud and quiet music coupled with these shots of uh, the POV shots through the scope of him tracking the guy through the apartment and just the shots of his like his eye in the scope or him making these minute adjustments to his rifle. Oh, so good. And it, it just makes it so much more tense. It's like the scene in uh, Glass Onion, the like one scene that I really, really enjoyed uh, when Dave Batista's character, whose name I've quite forgotten, gets murdered and the buildup to it is punctuated by this constant smacking down and up of the cover over the Mona Lisa. So if you've seen that movie, yeah, that's, that's, that's it's a similar sort of trick is being employed here. And yeah, I, again, I spent like the first half of this review talking about why I didn't think that its thematic material was all there. And I still think that, but I think that this movie's style absolutely makes up for its lack of substance. And it's not even like an insubstantial movie. Like it's not breezy or it doesn't feel inconsequential. It still feels like a cool, fun story to, to see unfold. And it's just enhanced so much by Fincher's style, which is firing on all cylinders in this movie. Yeah, I think I said pretty much everything I want to say. I guess the only other thing I would say is I think uh, the Tilda Swinton scene is so... The story she tells is such a incredibly weird story, and I understand the point she's trying to make, but I can't help but think maybe they could have done a less weird story because all I could think the entire time was who the who on earth has a story like this just sitting in their back pocket to tell and can they please stay as far away from me as possible because I never want to be in a conversation and someone starts telling a story about a hunter and a bear I'd be like please don't continue this story I'm leaving uh, so there was just that. Otherwise, I I really like the Tilda Swinton scene. I think it's really interesting how quickly she's instantly able to like pick apart the killer. And I think the fact the like end of it where she kind of tries to do a ploy to get away, and he he sees through it and he kills her. I think it's kind of a neat ending. It's not what I expected, especially given how much she talks. I. I think he says maybe one line the entire time and it's just her talking otherwise. I think that seems very good. I like all of the, you know, I like this movie quite a bit. My only negatives are, yeah, that it, it's kind of a thin premise. The setup, the sequence in the Dominican Republic and especially him in the hospital talking to his girlfriend's brother is so much just like, I can see the function of it, but there's no entertainment value in it. It's simply just her brother communicating facts. He might as well have found a note there that said, you know, like a video game style, this is where you need to go next. So I think that's probably the weakest point in the movie, as well as it comes after a fantastic opening. But otherwise, this is a really, really good movie, in my opinion. So the, those are kind of my final thoughts and my only negatives. I, I've been feeling bad lately when we've been talking about different areas of film that we appreciate and being unable to give people credit by their name. So I've been looking at the credits and uh, Merrick 
Boisia. I'm I'm sure I've butchered that, but he was the or she was the lighting technician, and then the sound editor. Hold on, Steve Bissinger was the sound editor. So great Ooh. job, Merrick. Great job, Steve, and, and everyone who worked with them. I, I would uh, that that is the limit. I'm not going to go through the entire credits uh, and list every name, but excellent work, guys. You deserve uh, you deserve props with your name attached to it. What else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, just in general, performances. Great performances all across the board. Oh, Michael yeah. Bender, uh, like I said, does a great job. Um, it's hard to do deadpan, sort of emotionless, uh, cold killer like this and not have it come across as just a bit boring. But I would say that he and Ryan Gosling uh, in Blade Runner 2049 – both great examples of how to how to do it right and how to do it in such a way that it's still engaging. And yeah, Tilda Swinton, obviously a very accomplished actress. She does a great job. Uh yeah, no notes on that side. So shall we shall we give her a rating? Yeah, I'll go first. I I've said everything I need to say. I enjoyed this movie immensely. This is another feather in Fincher's cap, as if his cap needed more feathers after the number of feathers he already has there. It's ridiculous. I'm going to give this, yeah, honestly, I've kind of come up on it just talking to you about it. I'm going to give it like an 8.4 out of 10. I think it's a really, really enjoyable, fun movie. And I actually mean that. Not in like, it's not like enjoyable, like seven. It's enjoyable in like a genuine I would watch this with like my mom and I think she would kind of have a fun time with it. Maybe. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah, I agree. I think I was a little let down. I think that there was potential. There was, there was wasted potential in terms of the character and the character arc, because I think that there needed to be, if that was what they were going for, there needed to be more textual evidence of that textual evidence. People come on. But on the whole, I still really enjoyed this movie. Like I said, it went down like a cold glass of water on a summer day. I didn't feel the length at all. It just, it, I just really enjoyed watching it. I love the mechanics of it, the world building, the characters, the acting. So much to like about this movie that I was willing to forgive the problems with substance. There's still some substance and there is a heaping helping of style, a style that I really enjoy uh, thanks to... Dave and his team, whose names I've already forgotten. I'm sorry. But yeah, so I'm going to give this a B plus. It's just on the outside of like true greatness. I think in order to be truly great, it would have had to have had that more satisfying, uh, cathartic character arc. But still, great movie. Uh, a movie that I really enjoyed that I would be happy to watch again. And I, I would also put this in sort of like the middle, maybe a little upper middle tier of Fincher films. Yeah. All right, sick. Uh, let's get into recommendations. Mine is another narration heavy takedown of a very specific type of person. This is a, a different type of person from the killer's takedown of a more modern edgy nihilist. This is going to be American Psycho. I can't remember the name of the director who she is, it is a woman. I want to say it's Mary something. Elliot's Googling it, so we'll get that information to you pronto. But this this is a very good movie. It is also, like The Killer, surprisingly funny. There's a lot of lines in here that I that are not funny in isolation, but in context of, right, a, a self-serious American businessman saying them, they are very funny. I think Christian Bale is insanely good, like incredibly insanely good in this role. He's so fantastic as this completely dead inside businessman, uh, an eighties yuppie, I think is the term, but this is, this is a really well done movie. I have some gripes with the ending of it. I'm not a huge fan of movies that end in the way this way movie ends, but everything outside of that is fantastic. Christian Bale is amazing. The writing's amazing. It's so, so funny. And it is such a fantastic takedown of this type of sort of, you know, American male 
who's very masculine, but his masculinity is very much kind of a mask, hiding how insecure and pitiful he kind of is in reality. This is a really good movie. You've probably heard of it. You've definitely seen it in memes or GIFs over the course of your life because it is incredibly, like, it's... This movie has quite a bit of memes in it, but I don't think that should take away from the fact that this is just a really well-done, really well-made film. Uh, Mary Heron is the woman of the hour for this movie. Thank you. I'm impressed I remember the first name. I have not seen this, so I can't comment on it. I've also not seen the memes, so can't comment on that. <laughs> My movie is weirdly similar in that it also concerns a uh, certain brand of toxic masculinity, albeit one only slightly less murderous. Uh, it's a suspense movie made by Batman and Robin him uh, director himself, Joel Schumacher, and it's called Falling Down. Uh, so I don't know how well known this movie is. I've seen a bit about it. I've, I haven't, I don't know if it's like a cult hit or whatever. Got decent reviews. Um, it's about a guy who sort of snaps a ostensibly white bread, nine to five picket fence kind of man uh, who snaps, goes on kind of a not intentionally murderous rampage, but on a rampage across LA that becomes increasingly violent and increasingly destructive. Like Nathan was sort of describing, this is a movie about a man who finds his worldview insufficient. Although this is kind of an inversion of that because it, it leads to fairly unfortunate. It leads to unfortunate consequences uh, rather than someone retiring from being a hitman, which can only ever be a good thing. But yeah, so it's uh and it's also more critical of this kind of like, sort of like what you were, again, what you were describing, uh, the character critique of the killer, this, uh, I guess the term for it is like this red-pilled guy who like suddenly becomes, who suddenly talking about like consumerism and trying to get back to good old-fashioned American values and that just being kind of a mask for a lot of violent, selfish outbursts. Like, there are some people online who think that this movie is, like, championing this guy. I certainly hope that's not the case, because this guy is, like, a selfish, unstable, weirdo, violent weirdo, who definitely needs to be, like, on some medication and in some therapy. But going forward, as if the movie is a critique of that rather than a celebration of it, fingers crossed, uh... It's a very good movie. It's got Michael Douglas in the main role playing against Robert Duvall as a police captain, a retire the classic retiring policeman who's on one last job to find him. It's very funny at times. It's it's very the atmosphere is very well constructed of how it communicates this very febrile, I think that's how it's pronounced, slight ever so slightly surreal exaggerated picture of Los Angeles, which is where he's, uh, where he's based and where he's going on this rampage. So yeah, very good. Very well, well put together. A lot of interesting stuff to say about, uh, about this kind of person and this kind of outburst that men, some men have an unfortunate tendency to go on. So yeah, a very strange offering from Mr. Schumacher, but I'll take it. Good stuff. I think that movie is a cult classic because as you were describing, as soon as you said Michael Douglas, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen that mentioned in like video essays and stuff about LA and stuff about movies like, I mean, you you also just described Fight Club. Fight Club is also a movie about red-pilled men f finding the wrong solution to the right sort of problems. This movie is definitely less... Uh, grim and gritty than Fight Club. I, I can't think of many movies that are more grim and gritty than Fight Club. I'm pretty sure that, I, I mean, that movie just feels gritty. While you watch it, you need some soap while you watch Dude, it. That clean house, yourself up. That, that house that, unintended. That house that Tyler and Jack live in, that thing is disgusting. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe someday we'll do a, a Fight Club review. Any, anyway, Elliot, do you have anything to say? I know you get really upset when you forget. Nathan, I have to say that life is hard and full of disappointments. Okay, good deal. Yeah, one of those disappointments is never the Magellans at the movies. We're always bringing you our unfiltered opinion, our unfiltered but slightly edited in post opinion. <laughs> On the films of today, we'll be back next week with another fantastic new episode. Uh, So look forward to that, and we hope you have a great week outside of that.